0: Just be aware of what stage you're in. Everything changes when you just have that awareness. Everything becomes really clear in terms of your focus areas. And then I love my entrepreneurs. I love my creatives. But we do love the shiny objects, right? So I've adapted the typical 80-20 rule. And I say, spend 80% of your time on moving through those stages correctly. But if you want to take 20% of your time and go chase a little shiny object and go try something or do something that's quote unquote against the rules, please do so.
1: there, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by guest Michelle Warner, who is a business design strategist who develops tiny companies that are built to last. With an MBA from one of the world's top business schools and 15-plus years growing small businesses, Michelle knows designing for the long term while building in the ability to adapt in the short term is what really creates sustainability. It's the way she grew her first business to seven-plus figures, and it's what she has used to help 200-plus entrepreneurs get what they want. So I'm really excited to have Michelle here on the show with me today and to be sharing her with you. Hey there, Michelle, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here and to really get into some of your wisdom on this question that is on my mind of how do we figure out what we should focus on next? Because as small business owners, we, you know, many of the listeners are solopreneurs. Or if they have a team, they have a small team. And so the amount of time that they have at their disposal is quite limited. And it's important that we don't spend our time, we don't waste our time working on the wrong things. But before we get into any of that, could you give us a little bit more context, a little bit more information about you and the
0: work that you do? Yeah, as you said, I'm a business designer and I use that title because a lot of people call it a strategist or a coach, but I believe very strongly and in all my experience, I've seen very strongly that business is a combination of art and science. And so I look at a business, I like to apply the frameworks, I like to look at my 15 plus years of experience building um, businesses and look at all that academic stuff that you would look at to see what's done right. And then also get into the intuition, figure out what actually makes sense for a specific business and combine those things. So I do look at, at it as designing businesses. And the bulk of the work that I do is I work with small businesses, solopreneurs, small entrepreneurs who have gotten stuck. So they have elbowed their way, usually using their gumption and their guts, they've gotten to a certain level of success. And you know what, the free programs, the coaching, all the generic advice that's out there, it's kind of run out for them. And they have realized I have built something, I have accomplished something, but it doesn't work for me. Or, and usually both are happening, I'm completely stalled, and I have no idea what to do next. So they realize that they need to get a little bit of business knowledge and understand how this thing works so that they can figure out how their business model should really fit for them. So get out of the generic and get into something that's actually going to work for them.
1: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're doing some really important work because I know a lot of entrepreneurs that are in just the position that you just described, where I would especially say, you know, like you mentioned consuming all the free knowledge and also like consuming a lot of courses that, you know, courses are an amazing tool. I love courses. I consume them myself um, and my students find them really helpful, but they can only get you to a certain point. And when you want to take your business beyond that point really strategically, then I can see where this element of design would really come in. You mentioned like marrying the art and the science to build a successful and sustainable business so my understanding is that you have a framework for figuring out what we should really be working on next because like i said we don't have a lot of time on our hands we're trying to figure out how to reach our big goals for our businesses But there are so many different things that we could be working on and how do we figure out, you know, what is the shiny thing that we shouldn't be spending our time on versus the important thing that will actually be moving us forward towards our goal. So could you give us um, some information about this framework, how you developed it um, and how we can and, and how exactly it works?
0: Yeah, absolutely. To give you a little bit of background, what I saw were a bunch of businesses coming at me who are looking at a very micro view of what they should be doing next, right? It was day to day decisions of how should I color block my calendar? And how can I hack my life to be a little bit more productive? And those are all good things. You know, they're coming and saying, I want to do less. Well, those are wonderful, wonderful things. But if you don't know what you should be doing, doing less is not very <laughs> useful, right? If you're just doing less yep. of, the, of the wrong thing, you're going to get even further behind. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, doing more of the of the <laughs> exactly. wrong thing won't help either, right? right? (laughs) Exactly. So I wanted to look at a more foundational view. I'm a very big fan of like, let's find the core solutions. And what that meant to me was figuring out what should you be looking at in the macro sense? Like, what part of the business stage are you in? And I went back to a classic 1983 Harvard Business Review study where they broke down the five stages of growth any kind of small business goes through. Now, of course, that study looked at a traditional small business where you're talking, you know, 50 million in revenue. It's not something that we see in the online business space a ton. Mm-hmm. So I adapted that to the businesses that I saw, which are, you know, 100K, 250K in revenue, and said, okay. The best way we can determine what you should be working on is not a day-to-day question of how to color block your calendar. It's rather identifying what stage are you in right now. And based on the stage that you're in, there are very clear macro principles you should be focused on. Or, and this is where people get really tripped up, if you're actually moving between one stage to another, how to make that transition, because that can get very, very confusing. And most of the businesses that I see are somewhere in between stages one and three, So stage one is validate. And that's where you're just figuring out, can I help people, right? All you're trying to do is give value and move somebody forward, however you're choosing to do it. Okay. Stage two is sales. And in that stage, you are just figuring out how to create a repeatable marketing and sales system Mm -hmm. based on the fact that you've learned that you can validate something. Mm -hmm. Stage three is foundation. That's when you start putting in SOPs, operating principles, and all that good stuff. Because now you have, you know how you can sell and market something. So it's time to make that official. And people love to be in a stage ahead of where they actually should be. So when I get a business, my first job is diagnosing what stage are you operating in and what stage should you actually be operating in. And then we start finding all the misalignments. And that starts telling us exactly why you've got installed where you got installed.
1: Okay. So just to give us the full, I guess, picture of this, can you share what stages four and five are? And then we'll get back into like figuring out what we should work on in each of these stages.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Stage four is expanding. So that's when you just start investing in your team and you're really investing in growth. And stage five is multiplying. And that's really where you're starting to talk about creating um, exits if you want to exit or really protecting culture and scaling up in a big way. Honestly, 90% of the small businesses are not going to get past stage three. And you could be what you could have a multimillion dollar business at stage three and be great. So I really focus on those first three stages.
1: That makes perfect sense. Okay. So let's go back to talking about th- that very first stage. You said this is where you're validating your idea. Yep. Um, so if someone is in this stage right now, well, first, just tell me what would indicate that someone is in this stage. Describe what the stage looks like.
0: So at this stage, you really have no idea who your customer is. You can't tell me who is your actual customer. You cannot tell me any way that you get predictable sales. You're just kind of getting lucky and you're exploring. So all those folks who are still a little confused about who is your ideal customer, how do you actually help them, that's somebody in the validate stage. Your only job at that stage is to help a bunch of different people, get them some results, get some success stories, and start seeing patterns.
1: Okay. What practical steps would you suggest people take if they're in that stage
0: right now? The most important practical step is to not get too fancy with your marketing. (laughs) So when people are in the validate stage, they are constantly trying to create fancy funnels and trying to do all of these things. And then um, they're not actually just trying to sell. So my best advice, and it's very boring advice, is to go talk to people and sell one-on-one services. A lot of times we hear start your business by selling one on one services because that makes you money faster. And that Mm. is true. But we forget that it also gets you information in a better way and a faster way than trying to sell to a whole ton of people or create a course right out of the gates. So I'm a really big fan of working one on one at the beginning just because you get so much information out of it.
1: I love that. And I can also really relate to that mistake you were talking about where someone is trying to build, you said fancy funnels when they're in stage one. That was 100% me when I was starting to learn how to build my online business. I was consuming all this free content and funnels sounded exciting and interesting. And I was really uh, captivated by marketing. And I still am to this day. But because that was the part that was most interesting to me, that was where I started. And I just tried to build these funnels and saw absolutely no results because I had hadn't done that validate stage first and really gone through that process.
0: Yep, you are not alone at all. And and I mean, I even made that mistake and I know these things because you get excited about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And here's the deal, you can get away with things sometimes in the online world that you really shouldn't be able to get away with. And I run into that as well where people do build those fancy funnels and they have a little bit of success, but Mm -hmm. then they don't realize and they didn't learn the lessons they were supposed to learn. So then they try to go scale those things and then it starts breaking down because they actually didn't learn lessons they were supposed to learn.
1: I've definitely seen that as well. Okay, so if someone has moved... Well, actually, before we talk about if someone has moved out of the validate stage, how can we move out of the
0: validate stage? How do we know when we're ready for the next stage? You know you're ready for the next stage when you can start to say with authority who your customer is and that you have gotten them results and that they are happy. So when you get out of that mumbling stage where somebody asks you who your customer is, and it's terrifying, and you have no idea what to say, then you're still invalidate. But as soon as you can start putting some words around that, and you know who you're looking for, and you have gotten those people results, it's time to move on to the sales stage.
1: Where does the most um, initial, the most significant part of initial product development happen in this process? Should it, that happen pre-stage one? Should someone come up with a product and then be in stage one trying to validate it, trying to figure out who it's for? Or are you going through stage one and maybe also developing your product at the same time?
0: Yep, exactly. You're developing your product at the same time. I also work with a product development matrix, which again starts with one on one because you can have an inkling of what you want to do. But if you go and you create that course immediately, you're going to be refilming that course Mm 14,000 times because you are going to learn so much. So again, in terms of saving time and using your time in the best way, it may sound a little opposite world, but you're actually better off delivering your quote unquote course to a person one on one, because you will learn so much about what falls apart of the course. um, And then you can move forward. So I'm a big fan of starting with one on one in terms of product development, then moving forward. And um, if you want to get it to a course, maybe delivering it with a small group format, and then getting it into a passive course, because again, you will find all the mistakes in the course if you do that.
1: That's great. Okay. So if someone knows definitively who their target customer is, and they've created this product, so they're ready to move on to stage two, um, what will stage two look like for them?
0: Stage two starts looking like very sloppy, figuring out the marketing mix, right? Um, And so that's where you might create fancy funnels, or you might really go into a relationship strategy. I talk about Are you going to have a sales or I'm sorry, a traffic based um, sales strategy or you're going to have a relationship based sales strategy? And you have to figure that out. And one requires you to build a big audience. One requires you to maybe not build as big of an audience, but you have to be really good at it. And you have to have sky high conversions if you're going to go through relationships. And of course, if you're building courses, that probably predicates you to going over to a traffic based system. So you're figuring out all of these things. And if you're building a traffic based sales system, then I want you to start building the funnel organically before you turn ads on. Because again, you're going to learn so much, right? You want a funnel to work organically, even if it's only a few people going through it. Um, And then you can start turning the ads on and really scaling that thing up. If it's a relationship-based sale, then you start figuring out how can I go borrow audiences? How can I be on podcasts? How can I build a network of referral partners who can send clients to me?
1: What factors should people take into consideration in order to decide whether they should go for a traffic-based system or a relationship-based system?
0: At that point, we get down to a numbers game. If you are looking at a business where you need to put a bunch of people through a course in order to hit your revenue goals, you're probably going into a traffic-based system. Um, If you're looking at somebody who loves one-on-one, you're building an agency, you're doing something that is more service-based, you're probably better served with a relationship-based system. And again, that's where I see things break down a ton is there are a lot of relationship-based businesses out there who see all the fun funnels and they want to sell $4,000 retainers through a funnel and you can do that, but it would be so much easier if you just built a couple relationships and got a couple referrals and check that off the list.
1: Okay. So it has a lot to do with the price point of your product. Yep. Okay.
0: The episode you're currently listening to was originally offered as a live stream inside Startup Society, our training program for digital entrepreneurs. Each week in the program, Gillian teaches a live workshop for startup members, including a teaching segment like what you're listening to right now a tutorial segment that demonstrates how to take action on the lesson, and an open Q&A period where Gillian and guest experts work directly with each member. Members also get access to Startup Society's library of business training courses, monthly co-working sessions, and other events, and our private community forum. If you're looking for affordable business training, mentorship, and accountability, then visit StartupSociety.com forward slash podcast to learn more about the program and apply to join. Now, here's Gillian with the rest of today's episode.
1: someone is in phase two, they're working on building out these selling systems. Maybe they are building their network or maybe they're building some funnels, but either way, which, or maybe depending on which way, really, what should they be working on in this phase? What are their most, what's the most important work for them to be doing?
0: I want them to get to a point where they can predict what their sales are going to be every month within a reasonable, um, reasonable percentage. And they know exactly what they need to do to get to that. So that's where I'm talking about if you want to be making, you know, 50k a month through a course based funnel, then I want you to build a first funnel that is filled with organic traffic, it's going to be a little messy, Um, you're going to fix the funnel as you figure some things out, then as the funnel works organically, then you're going to probably turn on ads so that you get it to work to the level that you want. And then when you hit that 50k level with your mixture of traffic, and it's completely predictable, congratulations, like you have completed the sales stage.
1: Perfect. Okay. And do you have any tips here? Any more tips you want to add about how to um, master phase two or how to really be as successful as possible in phase two before you are ready to move on to phase three?
0: I think my answer to all of this is always baby steps, right? We always try to go way too fast. People get into the sales stage, they immediately want to turn on ads or they immediately want to add every single bell and whistle to a funnel. And the more elements that you have in a funnel, especially you know when we're talking traffic based, it's harder to figure out what's working and what's not. And so if you have ads going, if you have four different types of apps that are trying to optimize things and you have a messenger chat and you have all these things, if it's not working, you have no idea what portion of it is not working. So I'm a big fan. I keep saying I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of a lot of things, <laughs> I'm being like, start with the simplest funnel that you can. Get that working with organic traffic, then layer on all the bells and whistles that you want to have in it, get all of that working with organic traffic, then turn on the ads um, because then you're working in that, you know, MBA analytical world of adding one element at a time and you can really understand what's actually working and what's not.
1: So, what I'm hearing you say is maybe we should do less when we're first building those funnels. Would you say that that is true? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yes, very much so. And don't be afraid to be a little inefficient in those stages. Don't be like a lot of times the first funnel, I will end it with an actual human phone call, a sales call, even though that's not the goal. But again, like if you can get people on the phone, um, you can get some sales closed and you can still figure out their experience in your funnel. So, I, um, you know, that idea of a little bit of inefficiency to build long term efficiency is a good one.
1: That reminds me of this little book called This Won't Scale um, that is about selling strategies that are tactics like that, where you do things that maybe won't scale, that aren't quite as efficient as they could be so that you can a stronger business.
0: Exactly. Exactly. If it's something that is leading to something that is efficient, you know, you should be all about inefficiency. You don't want to have inefficiencies when you are theoretically in an efficient system. But when it is faster to learn through an inefficiency, do that. Otherwise, you'll spend a year with the most efficient system that doesn't work. And that (laughs) is not very efficient in a macro sense.
1: I completely agree. Okay. So it sounds like someone is ready to move out of stage Two, when they can predict their sales. That's what you said, right? When they can yep. predict what their sales will be in any given month and they're hitting their sales goals. Is there any other important indicator that someone is ready to move out of stage two?
0: Nope. That's the important. Well, the only other caveat I would say is they're hitting their sales goal with people who are actually happy and that they're hmm. hitting, you know, you want to watch the quality control, make sure you're still getting results for folks.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So if someone has done those things, then they are ready for stage three. What does stage three look like?
0: Stage three is when you start getting to build your operations team out. So a lot of people want to do this much earlier and they want to create standard operating procedures. And again, because we love talking about efficiency, but really until you know what's working and until you have a predictable system, it wastes a lot of time to put systems in place that you don't know if they work. Because then you turn on a whole team because let's face it, you're starting to have a team during the sales stage, right? And so Mm -hmm. you go on the whole process, and your team starts executing on something that doesn't work. And now you're just scaling something that doesn't work. So again, as inefficient as it may be, I like to start with the documenting of the processes in stage three. And that's where you really build out your ops team. And even if you do have a little bit of a team in stage two, again, it's a little inefficient, people are figuring out and they have the ability to change things and recommend changes rather than just following um, a standard operating procedure.
1: Mm -hmm. So when you're in stage three and you're building out these SOPs and this whole system, um, can you share with me what that would look like, how you recommend to your clients that they do that?
0: There's a lot of different ways. And this comes down to what makes sense for you and your team. Um, Whatever kind of project management software makes sense, whether it's a, a piece of software that documents those processes, or whether it's Asana, Notion, there's a million different ways to do it. I recommend that you find your project manager or your integrator or whoever that partner is going to be who's going to be running the things. You two decide what makes sense for the two of you, build it, and then go. Because I've seen a lot of OBMs or project managers come into a team and say, okay, we're using Asana. And the founder, which would include me, I hate Asana, nothing in it makes sense to me. <laughs> and so you bring in a project manager in who, who is intent on using Asana, and it's going to go really bad. And at that stage, the founder is usually a little bit desperate, because um, they're just craving these systems. So they just say, okay, great, okay, great, okay, great to everything. But you really have to make sure that it's going to work for you. The Mm -hmm. same way you're probably making a decision in your funnels, like, do I like Instagram or not? Or can I do YouTube or not? You also have to find systems that work for you. So you want to find an OBM or a project manager who's going to walk you through this. How is it going to work? Be a little flexible and try things in the beginning, right? Don't decide to use Asana. Go build all your systems for six months, then turn them on and everybody hates them and can't use it. Like, let's build one little process, make sure everybody can follow it. And it's, you know, it's working for everyone and then continue to build them out.
1: Perfect. So what would be the indicator that someone is ready to move out of stage three?
0: Again, this is where a lot of businesses, I would say probably 80% of businesses really don't move out of stage three. Um, And you can be cruising really well here. But the indicator of when you're um, moving out of stage three is probably when you start wanting to build out a much larger product suite and you want to get out of the the, um, the very focused place that you've been in. So at mm-hmm. the end of stage three, you probably have a pretty solid customer journey, maybe up to five products, five to even 10 products um, when we're talking online courses. But now you're starting to think about where can I really go get some investment? How can I really go build out the business, build some big partnerships? That's when you're starting to think about um, moving into stage four, if stage four is right for you. So these are really large investments in growth um, and really increasing team talent Significantly.
1: Uh, does stage four have a name? Yeah, stage four is expand. Okay, okay. And then stage five, what does that look like?
0: Stage five is multiply. And this is when everything is just about maximizing that profit margin. Now you look like a very mature company. You're out of the entrepreneurship space and you're just cruising along as if you're a corporate business. Um, so you may be looking for an exit. Or if you're not looking for an exit, you're really looking at just starting to operate as a normal business with normal growth, optimizing profit margins, protecting the culture, protecting the growth. You're not in this big growth spurt anymore as an entrepreneurial company would be. You've moved into um, what I would call corporate.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've made it all the way through the five phases, and I love your tips and suggestions on um, what we should be focused on in each of these different areas of business growth. Now, my question for you is: What should someone do if they have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves? You mentioned a couple times there, and I, you know, chimed in with my own experience where you know maybe you should be in phase one, but you've started doing some of the phase two or phase three things. Um, I can imagine in one situation, you, you know, you're in phase one, but you're trying to do phase two stuff and it's completely not working right and it seems pretty obvious that then we should just go back to square one but what if you've done some phase two or some phase three things and they are working for you should you abandon them and go back to phase one or phase two where you really should be at Um, or should you keep on with those systems that you've built
0: Couple, of th- couple of different routes you can go in this direction. Um, when I first started this business, I actually came in as a fractional CEO. So this was five, six years ago in the days when people were literally becoming millionaires overnight. They had a great course idea and it would just explode. And then everything would be in really bad shape. And so I would come in, they would be stage, they'd be operating in stage three, but they had not learned any of the lessons in stage one and two. And when you get those types of businesses where things are working on the outside, usually things are a little bit of a nightmare on the inside. Mm -hmm. And the business is actually in a lot of danger. Because the systems, because a lot of lessons haven't been learned, so everything's just running on the fly. And so in those, the most important thing you can do if you're in that position is to recognize what has happened. Try to keep things moving as best you can. You don't want to hit the brakes, right? But you want to immediately divert your team's attention or at least a couple of key people on your team to going back and fixing what wasn't learned in stages one and two. So it's not that you're doing something incorrect, but you most likely haven't learned what you needed to learn out of those stages. So you may not have learned exactly who your customer is or you may not have learned Um, the most common thing that happens here is you didn't actually learn what is repeatable about your sales and marketing process because you're charismatic and you just kind of got lucky. That does (laughs) happen in this industry. And then as you try to scale up charisma and luck, you know, that gets really hard. And so you're just kind of holding Mm -hmm. on as best you can. So you want to go back and dissect reverse engineer. What is it about your charisma? What actually worked in terms of your funnels so that a team can take that over and it's not all on your shoulders? So that's a big piece of what you want to do if you have reached, quote unquote, success, but things are a little bit ugly.
1: I can easily imagine a situation where someone threw up a funnel, kind of got lucky, and now they're trying to scale or something breaks and it's not working, but it would be really hard to figure out what isn't working if you got lucky on the first go or even just after trying a few different funnels randomly instead of going through the strategic process of designing your business.
0: Exactly. And something doesn't even need to break, although that is common. What also happens is the market matures and the market grows up and you have more competition. So Mm -hmm. if you got lucky in the early days and then more competition is coming in and you're thinking, wait, this isn't working the way it used to be or whatnot, it was because you did get a little lucky. And now as you're trying to increase that, Um, not only do you have to figure out what you actually did, you have to reverse engineer and figure out why you got lucky, but you also then have to adapt it as more and more people are in the market. And so that's why you want to keep going. I never advocate just stopping, but you also need to be very clear um, that you also have now a cleanup project to do where you need to go and look very closely at your funnel. Maybe you're doing some A-B tests, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and you're certainly not moving forward any longer in terms of building any more operations processes or looking at moving to stage four, right? Kind of put a halt to documenting everything, go back, figure out what works, what didn't, whatever kind of testing you need to do for that, and then move forward again.
1: So you're going to let the things that are working coast, you know, do what you need to do to maintain them, but make your new priority doing this learning work that you need to do so that you can build a stronger business.
0: Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, those things work and I got a little lucky. That's awesome. Let's keep going. You do stop in terms of your development and you say, Mm -hmm. let's go back and document why it worked. But let's continue letting people buy it, right? Because it's working now. People are getting results. That's awesome. We just don't want to keep pushing on a system because the more pressure you put on a system, um, you know, the, the more likely it is to break when it's not necessarily built in the best way.
1: I have another scenario that I would love to have your input on. Um, So what if someone starts out and they have an idea for a product and they kind of go through phase one in at least a minimal sense, doing some testing, maybe working with some one-on-one clients, they figure out who their target customer is. So they move on to phase two with this one particular product. They build out maybe a funnel for it. The funnel starts working well after doing some testing. They're able to predict those sales numbers and hit their sales goal for this one product. And so now they kind of have a business, but maybe this one, maybe there isn't a big enough market to, for this one product to be their entire business. So they want to add some more products. Should they go back to phase one and do market research and testing with a new product? Should they move on to phase three and document their processes since they do have a working sales system? What would be your advice there?
0: That's a great question. And what I would do is I would split strategies at that point. If you know that you have a new customer or you have to go find a new customer, but you also have something that's working really well, you don't want to stop the thing that's working really well. And so keep it moving. You're not going to break anything in terms of bringing in new customers. By keeping that one moving, and also recognize that you are starting something brand new. So the brand new thing goes back to stage one, while the current thing stays in stage three. So you can have your business at different stages, if you are um, cognizant of what you're doing there. And so mm-hmm. that's a little bit against what you know the Harvard study originally said. But certainly in small businesses, and our micro businesses, that makes a ton of sense to think about it in terms of product mix, and mm-hmm. products going through the stages as opposed to an entire business.
1: That makes perfect sense. And while I can see that it and like I've experienced it being confusing sometimes when your business is kind of in multiple stages of this process, it sounds to me like really if you have in the scenario I shared, your business would be in stage three and you're starting a new product that's almost its own like micro little business sort of system itself that you're taking through the stages again to bring it up to where the rest of your business is.
0: It becomes your R&D department or your internal, you know, what do they call them? Entrepreneur department, right? (laughs) You're starting a little something new. And so they always operate on a different timeline. If you look at Fortune 500s that have those entrepreneur departments, they're operating completely separately from the business. So the important part is to have that awareness and know what you're doing consciously because then everything goes. If you just assume that the new thing is in stage three or that you have to take the stage three thing all the way back to stage one, then you have problems. But when you're consciously aware of these stages and how these things develop, you can split those.
1: It sounds like we can kind of treat that new product as your business's side hustle.
0: Yep, exactly. Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Well, this has been great so far. Do you have any further advice that you would like to share with someone who is moving through these first three phases? Um, what can they do to ensure that they move through them as successfully and as like slow and steady as possible and not get distracted by shiny stuff along the way or get ahead of themselves?
0: Yeah, a couple of things. The first thing is to just be aware of what stage you're in. Everything changes when you have that. It sounds really simple, but when you just have that awareness, everything becomes really clear in terms of your focus areas. And then I love my entrepreneurs. I love my creatives, but we do love the shiny objects, right? So I've adapted 80-20, the typical 80-20 rule. And I say, spend 80% of your time on moving through those stages correctly, but if you want to take 20% of your time and go chase a little shiny object and go try something or do something that's quote unquote against the rules, please do so. Um, <laughs> because I you know, I just see that we need to spread out that energy. And so mm-hmm. when you get too strict on going through these stages, entrepreneurs have a gazillion ideas at a time. And when they're being told like, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, it just never ends well. So go dissipate that energy. Go play. It's cool with me. Just keep it to 20%. And keep 80% of the things moving in the correct direction. I'm raising my
1: hand for sure. That is absolutely me. I cannot just keep myself in a box 100% of the time, right? I need to have a little bit of that time to play. And to make that really practical, that 20%, it would look like about one day a week or maybe half an hour per day of your workday when you just let yourself play. So that's some great advice. Okay. Well, Michelle, this has been so good. Thank you so much for sharing this framework. Like you said a few minutes ago, just like having that bigger picture perspective, having that context can really change things, You know, be a a really good starting place for people getting into the groove of where they need to be. So I so appreciate this. And I know that our listeners will as well. Um, If people want to find out more about you and maybe are interested in working with you or learning more from you, what is the best place online to do that?
0: Yeah. My website is at the Michelle Warner.com. you can jump on my email list there or hang out on instagram quite often at michelle.warner you can always drop me a dm over there
1: thank you so much michelle for taking your time to be here with us on the show today and for everything that you've taught us about how to figure out what our best next step is
0: yeah thank you so much for having me
1: all right well that is everything for today thank you so much for joining me for today's episode If you found this episode helpful and you would like to participate live in future recording sessions, then be sure to visit StartupSociety.com slash podcast to learn more about all the benefits of membership and apply to join. And finally, it would be a big help if you left Work Less, Earn More a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will this help us reach more people, but it's also going to give you the chance to potentially win a 12-month membership to Startup Society. All you need to do to enter is post your review on Apple Podcasts, then email a screenshot to contact at gillianperkins.com. Thanks again so much for listening. Now let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action.